0: radio 1043 the fan every saturday morning it's terry wickstrom outdoors terry takes you inside the outdoors you know hunting
1: fishing camping it's terry wickstrom outdoors now here's terry all right we're back let's go right to the phones and joining us as he does every saturday at 10 o'clock from tightline outdoors nate Zelinsky. Good morning, Nate, and uh, I guess I already wished you a happy birthday. It was a couple of days ago, so I appreciate, it, sir. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, you're going to catch up to me pretty soon. You keep having birthdays. Holy cow, right? I uh, it, it's starting to uh, starting to count up and add up. That's for sure. Well, especially since I quit counting mine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I uh, as of next year, I'm at this quick count of mine. That's for sure.
1: All right, hey, my friend. Um, earlier in the show, I was talking that. Um, We've had some, I get really torn this time of year because when it's 65 degrees, I'm out on my patio with the steak on the grill, and it's hard for me to say I don't like that. But then when it gets seasonal like this and the night gets cold, I start getting excited about forming ice and this uh, weather, that changes, and it's going to keep getting cooler and cooler, moves the animals and the fish around. It's a great time of the year.
2: It is here, you know, and it's one of those things that I, I really do embrace the nice weather uh, for, for all that it can offer, you know what I mean? So on the fishing side of things, obviously a lot of our mountain lakes are closed to boating, but you can still shore fish, uh, wade, float tube, and then obviously the walleye bite on the front range, fast bite, is just phenomenal. And these nice days do nothing but really help that bite out. So, you know, on the fishing front, things are great. Um, on the hunting side... You're not getting the migrations necessarily that you want. We don't have the snow that a lot of hunters want to find the animals, track the animals. But if you look at the greater good, so, you know, I look at it as, hey, I can access other areas that I normally couldn't. So, you know, we wrapped up our third rifle yesterday where we're going into our, our sports rifle combined hunt for elk and deer coming up on Wednesday. And I'm looking at it as a fact of, hey, even though we don't have snow, it's cool because places where I normally would be snowshoeing or taking snowmobiles in the hunt, I can now take a truck to. So even though it might not be the condition that some people are looking for, I'm trying to embrace it for what it is. Now, I will say that as we approach December 1st, once the, the big game hunting for the most part is done, once we put the way of the boats in the front range, um, then I am absolutely starting to want the cold simply because I want the ice. So why I have other things to chase, I'm fine having the nicer weather. But boy, uh, come December 1st, once everything kind of starts shutting down, it is time for that ice. But I, I do think it's fast approaching. Even though you keep hearing people talking about nice weather, uh, you know, you're up at South Park and you're looking at night your single digits, even up, if not negatives. Um, so even though it might seem un, you know, seem unseasonably warm, it's cold out, and the, the nights are cold, and ice is fast approaching. So uh, I think everything is in good swing. But right now, we're putting a major focus on the fourth rifle hunt, uh, and absolutely having some some awesome days catching walleyes and bass down here on the front range.
1: So a lot of that front range from a boat. You're going to be good till probably end of the month. I think probably next week that. The boat ramps will start to close is that right yep
2: yeah, yeah, we're open till december 1st so Chatfield, cherry creek boyd all that's december 1st uh and then after that it'll be pretty much down to pueblo from that point on but right now while we can get our boats out you know for another 10 days uh the bite is on and honestly terry it is good for everything which there's times where we have decent bites for everything but right now it is absolutely awesome for everything so Chatfield Trade Creek, those are the ones we're hitting the most within those two bodies of water. There's a night fight at both fisheries. Um, and honestly, there's multiple options for that night fight. So you can go out and you can stick to your jerk baits, your long minnow style baits. We're upsizing them. We're fishing them slightly bigger than normal. But with that, you can cast steeper shorelines. For example, the dam faces. The dam faces are on right now. So you can cast the dams. You can cast deep walls, and you're going to catch a lot of walleye and that's low light and all night long. If you are rather troll, we're trolling shallow flats, so you can kick out the planer boards, you can long line, and you can troll. So whether you're looking to cast or troll Both of those options are available right now, which a lot of times those two don't necessarily go hand-in-hand. A lot of times you're either forced to cast or troll, but right now they are both flat-out going, so we're excited about that. Then the daytime bite, we have got a shallow water jig bite. So fairly shallow water, I would say you're fishing in 8-foot to maybe 12-foot of water. You can cast jigging spoons. You can cast blade baits. You can cast jigging wraps. And those walleyes are going during the day. Then we also have a deep water jigging bite, um, and that bite is going extremely strong. That deep water bite, uh, the shallow side of the deep bite is about 18 foot. The deepest walleye I caught the other day was in 35 feet. So we have bites all over the place uh, in a, j- a vertical jigging presence there. So whatever your style or suit of fishing is, we have a great bite going right now, and that's in both Chatfield and Cherry Creek for the walleyes. And then the bass are also pretty going very strong. They are just now in transition from shallow to deep. So we just now watch those fish come out of you know the, the dam face, out of that shallower water. They're starting to activate on the deep water shad, and we saw them slide out. So they're on deep roadbed, deep humps, and we're catching those bass on top of the structure as well as on the side. Uh, as opposed to the walleye, we almost always catch on top of the structure. Those bass, you get them right on those angled pitches and sides of those slopes, and that bites very good. And I will say, Terry... Uh, you know, everybody knows that Tightline, Matt Insley is more of our bass angler. Um, I don't do a ton of bass fishing until now. This is the time of year where I actually do really enjoy the big smallmouth, simply for the fact that this time of year we catch some big fish. So this is the one time of year where we get a lot of separation from those little bucks and those little, you know, smaller bass up to all your larger bass. So you can have really good averages right now of those, like, 14 to 18-inch bass, which catch a lot— you know, you have a good option at a lot of them, um, so so it's pretty
1: phenomenal. So a lot of great fishing right now. You know, another and you're right. Uh, the second, one of the two best times for big fish of all species, really, are spring and fall when the big fish are more accessible. They get a lot harder to catch other times of the year, and you really have to do a lot more hunting and do things different. But you know, if you're catching fish, you probably have a better chance at a big one this time of the year. One thing you didn't talk about, and I think a lot of people look forward to for this time of the year. When you're casting or or trolling shallow with jerk baits and crank baits and spoons, um, are you? There's a lot of big holdover trout in Colorado, and I mean big trout. Now there's going to be a lot of shore accessible stock trout and a few big ones for people want to just go out and catch fish. Those those smaller trout are going to be close to shore. It's going to be a great. But how about the big trout? When you're throwing those jerk baits or trolling, are you picking up a lot of big trout?
2: We are. I'm not seeing as much on the casting bite in that, you know, cast up in that shallow water on that dam base, but the night bite on those flats. Those big mud flats hold that warmer water, the shad move in on it, and we are definitely seeing both big rainbows and big browns on the flats at night, so we're trolling those stick baits. Uh, we are seeing quite a bit on that, and honestly, Terry, more so than anything, uh, we talked about jigging shallow and jigging deep. Uh, when we're throwing particularly the blade baits in the shallow water, that 18 12 foot, pitch that blade up onto that shallow structure like the gravel pits at Chatfield, working those blades back, and that's really where we're seeing a lot more of those real big trout uh, is on the blade base and that type experience. So that, that's definitely been phenomenal. And you're, like you said, um, I mean, people don't realize, it, but like a Chatfield in particular, You know, if you saw a, a brown or a rainbow in that 28 to 30 inch mark, it's not like it's a, a, a freakish fish. Um, it's one of those things that there is a population of those fish. We just don't actually see see them that much but it's spring and fall reaction bigger style bait presentations that really produce those bigger fish so there is definitely a, a great bite and opportunity for some of those bigger trout right now for sure
1: one last topic i really want to hit with you and we have a little over a week or whatever a week before the boat landings close if you are going to ice fish on cherry creek chatfield aurora boyd uh, horse tooth you need to get well you can't horse tooth ice fish horse tooth but you need to get out on those lakes with your boat and start marking gps fish movements and spots absolutely Terry.
2: i think with that said the the concept that i think about right now is number one you you are the king of talking about it but spot on spot structure fishing so everybody goes oh i'm gonna fish the road bed and they know where the road bed's at but when you're on the ice I really want it to where when I drill my hole, one hole is say on top of the road better, on top of that structure, say it's 16 feet. I want it to where if I drill another hole two and a half feet away, I am falling off the edge. Being what we call spot on spots where you are flawless with your presentation, that's what it takes to catch more and bigger fish through the ice. So it's not just saying, oh, I know where the road's at. It is knowing precisely where it's at and trying to get away with, you know, drilling one hole or two holes first taking 20 holes and making a bunch of noise to find that spot on spot so really right now on the boat I'm driving around if I have a big sunken flat I'm finding the edge that I want I'm finding a little point on that edge I am finding what we call the spot on spot the very precise details of exactly where I want to sit because having that flawless spot on the ice is what it takes to catch a lot more fish and bigger fish you know if you're on that road and you're sitting on the center of the road because that road's 22 feet wide you're not going to catch the same fish as the person that's sitting on that outer one foot edge right before it falls off. That's what it takes. The other big thing that I think about is what do I have on the ice that I don't have on my boat? So, you know, if I'm marking coordinates on my big graph of my boat, but I don't know how to transfer those, go out on your boat and get an app on your phone. I mean, you can do just through your maps. You can use your hunting app, like Onyx. I mean, you can use some Google software, but whatever it is, think about what you're going to have with you on the ice. Is that a handheld GPS? Is it your phone? are you going to transfer a graph? But when you're on your boat, take that device with you. Save the coordinates on the device that you're actually going to use. So that way when you walk on the ice, you're familiar with it. You're not trying to say, oh, well, my phone I know I marked it here, but how do I get that coordinate over here? So think about exactly what you're going to do on the ice and mark those spots now because it is. So easy to do on your boat versus walking around on that hard water.
1: My friend, we're out of time, but I know if you've got a lot of ice fishing events coming up, we're going to talk more ice fishing. How do people get a hold of you?
2: Absolutely. You can just watch our Facebook page, watch our website. Uh, I'm actually right now traveling on a whitetail hunt, so I'm out of town hanging out with some uh, some very exclusive anglers. We're excited about that. I'm hanging out with the Blosser Brothers. Uh, so we're out here hunting now, but then next weekend we have the St. Paul Ice Show, or excuse me, two weekends of the St. Paul Ice Show, uh, but a lot of stuff going on. So stay tuned for events and updates from the St. Paul Ice Show, as well as our tickets are on sale for Ice Addiction. So They went on sale last Monday. Um, so again, with Ice Addiction, the sooner you purchase the ticket, the sooner you get on the ice at the event so it's kind of our new ticket style so we encourage everybody if you're going to come to ice addiction jump to tightlineoutdoors.com click on ice addiction purchase your ticket because again the sooner you grab the ticket the sooner you will get on the ice at the day of the event so again everything is hubbed at tightlineoutdoors.com
1: all right we will talk to you next week my friend all right nate zelinski always a great resource uh Uh Get out on the water. Now it's time to fish. We're broadcasting live from Jack's Outdoor in Fort Collins. Please stop by and say hi. We're going to take a time out when we come back. Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennel is going to join us, and we're going to talk dog training on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. To Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. We are broadcasting live from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins. Stop by and say hi. I'll be broadcasting till 11. I'll- love to see people. The folks, um, I've, Karen's got some lures to give away yet. So if you stop by the Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins and see Karen, she's wearing a pink fleece, and tell her you want a brand-new fishing lure, she got some nice ones. First come, first serve, you get to pick one of your choice. So stop by and see her. Also, the folks from T-Mobile are here with some incredible deals signing up. You can virtually get a free phone and reduce your bill for your phone service and uh, their coverage has become just phenomenal. And speaking of T-Mobile, T-Mobile brings us our dog training segment featuring Ben Garcia with Hideaway Kennels. Good morning, Ben. Hello, Ben. Hey, Terry, you got me? I got you. There you are. Oh, there we go. Good morning. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, a couple things I want to talk to you about today. I know you want to get into one in particular about hunting dogs, what you do after a hunt. But before we get to that, we're getting close to the holidays. And this is something that's always been kind of a pet peeve of mine. People want to get a puppy or a dog for Christmas, and they justify it in so many ways. You know, who's going to take care of it, how it's going to be handled, why are we getting it, what's the use going to be, is it going to be a hunting dog, a house dog, and I shudder because when you make those decisions with that holiday gift thing in mind, so often it ends up being a bad decision for the animal. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I know, I know like, my clients that breed, and ourselves, because we do breed dogs, like, we typically will not have a litter around Christmas just to avoid even the phone calls or the emails about it because it's, it's not a thought out process to, to have an emotional purchase like that of a dog. It should be well more thought out with a better plan and thinking ahead for sure.
1: So tell us some of the things, if I'm going to get a dog, whether it's Christmas or other time, and I'm agreeing with you that make it another time when you're not doing it with maybe your intentions are great, but the outcome could be bad. What do I need to take into consideration?
0: Well, I think the thing with one is puppies in the winter are hard, you know, and it depends on the region you're in. Like a, a lot of breeders won't breed in the winter just because one is you're sending puppies home to be potty trained in the snow you know so if you have a little pup and you're taken outside to to go to the bathroom and it's let's face it here in colorado be negative 10 at night that dog's not going to want to go outside it's cold so they're going to come back in and and then you have a potty training issue so that's something to consider you know within the moment you know there um some breeders don't like to breed in the summer because of insects and disease and viruses, you know. So some of those are there in the summer. Some are, you know, fleas and ticks, mosquitoes, those things. So that can play into it. But the main thing when you're looking at getting a puppy in the winter, especially around Christmas time, if somebody's considered that, they're lined up with a good breeder, they got a good plan, is where are you going to be in four months? I mean, let's face it, we have, you know, with February that has holidays. Everybody goes out of town for then we have spring break; everybody goes out of town for. It. Then they're in baseball, soccer season, and then June comes and everybody wants to go fishing and go traveling. Where are you going to board the dog? Are you going to have it trained? What's your game plan? And those are things to really think of way before the hunting season because we're seeing it right now. Everybody wanted to travel for um, Thanksgiving, but didn't think about boarding because everybody got dogs the last year and everybody's traveling now. They've got you know their vaccines or their, whatever they're doing, you know, and traveling. But we, we probably had 40 calls and emails this week of just people that couldn't find boarding for their dog over for Thanksgiving. And they bought tickets without planning ahead. And so.
1: Well, and, that's, and, and I want to move on to your other topic, but before I'll make a comment yeah. too. And I love dogs, I've had dogs most of my life. But when you, especially a family, when they, oh, let's get a puppy for Christmas, and dad's thinking it's going to be a hunting dog, mom's, one of the kids thinks it's going to be a home dog, and everybody goes, oh, we want a dog, and everybody jumps on board saying, I'll help take care of it, I'll help do this. Well, like you said, that wears off real quick, and all of a sudden, the dog needs to go for a walk, or it should be in a training regime, or an obedience training, and... Everybody's doing their thing, and the decision wasn't made with the right plan. I think you're absolutely right. Let's move on. There's one other topic I know that's really important to you. We've got a lot of upland game going on, and a lot of people don't properly check their dogs after they've been hunting.
0: Right, right, and this is the time of year. I mean, this is, like you said, it's upland, it's waterfowl. So what we like to call it is a tailgate check. And, um, you know, after a hunt, you know, you should get your dog up on the tailgate. You should look for some certain things that that I'll go into here in a minute, but you're just making sure you're putting that dog up in a way without any problems. I mean, I like to start off with the, the mouth and, and around the neck and, and make sure there's no cuts in the mouth, no broken teeth, um, which can't happen, you know, or a ripped tongue, you know I mean? We've kind of had it all, you know, um, and then go to the ears, go down the collar, you know, the armpits are one to check for fences, the chest, you know, and, um, then the back groin area is definitely one to check. And just underneath their coat, um, if it's still warm out and you're in an area with sleeves and ticks, you know, you definitely want to be looking for those, depending on where you're hunting. And then I go down the feet. You know, you're looking at the forearms, the back legs, in between the webbing, the toes. Make sure you don't have a broken nail. If you have a dog or a breed that has dew claws, you know, you're making sure that's still attached before you put the dog up, you know, in the tail, in the back of the truck, in the crate.
1: Now, is it's there... a really good practice to have. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. I
0: was going to say, and if you're waterfowl hunting, like, we, you know, we have vests for our dogs. And and sometimes I've seen people put the dog up with the vest on, and there can be debris in there. There can be, um, you know, rocks or dirt or grind, and then it creates a hot spot on the dog as they're coming home because they start sweating in that neoprene vest, especially if you have one with the flotation. So you want to make sure you take off your vest before you put them up, your goggles, your boots take all those things off and, and make sure there's nothing in there between fields or areas you're hunting so that you don't have a problem coming on because sometimes those vests you know like i've seen one get up under a, a stick get up underneath the neoprene vest on a duck dog and just rip their chest open and we didn't see it until we took off the vest and, and saw the wound so it's, it's good practice just to check every. the same as unloading your gun or checking yourself over it's a good thing to check your dog over before the hunt's done also
1: before i let you go we're really out of time but i want to take a minute is there a first aid kit for dogs or training that i should have or know before i go or do i immediately take them to a vet if i see something's wrong
0: well you know that's a good point i mean like our our really good friend you know owns a dust off cane on you know and he makes a great first aid kit um we got them all for all the guys this year out at rocky mountain roosters to have and then and, and he knows what he's doing on those first aid kits so that would be the one I would definitely um, take a look at Brady's company because it's a really good company. He has a lot of firsthand knowledge with what he does for a job with dogs. Um, the thing I always tell people is if you're traveling, make sure you know there's a vet in that area, um, you know, and know where the vet is and have that emergency contact just where you're going. I mean, if you're going hunting, let's say you're going to southern New Mexico or Arizona, you know, you may want to call ahead and just have your vet records on file with that vet and have them transferred in in case you do have a problem. You could just get right in and, and not have to deal with paperwork or shot records or those things because they already have them on hand. So.
1: Ben, we are out of time, but if people want to get a hold of you for either setting up some hunting training or get more information, how do they do that?
0: Yeah, they can find us on the Internet at com or they can find us at Facebook at Hideawaycundles.
1: All right, my friend. we will. Ta- we're going to talk to you again next week on ESPN. Awesome. That'd be fun. Love you. A fun deal. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Ben Garcia. Okay. Um, ben Garcia, he's our dog training expert. Really great information. He's presented by T-Mobile. We're going to take a time out when we come back. We're b- by the way, we're broadcasting live from Jack's Outdoor Gear. When we come back. Chad Chance is going to join us, and we're going to talk getting your boat ready for winter on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Oh, it's too bad the Eagles are playing when Chad is on hold. I'd like to get to him, talk boat, but I like to listen to the Eagles. I saw them in concert this year; they were fantastic. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We are broadcasting live from Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're here with our friends from T-Mobile. T-Mobile's got a bunch of great... You can get virtually a free phone, and the the deals they have on plans right now are, are stupid. So come by to Jack's. Come by and see us. By the way, Karen still has a couple fishing lures. The first two people that come up and ask her, say, we heard you got a couple lures from Terry on 104.3 The Fan. You can get your choice first come, first serve of those lures. They're really nice lures, too, so stop by and do that. If you've never been in a Jack store, stop and see us. Let's go to the phones now. Joining us... Um, He's our good friend, Chad LaChance. You see him on television. He fills in on this radio show. He's uh, an outdoor enthusiast and a very accomplished both angler and hunter. And, Chad, you and I are faced with a dilemma, you this year and me for the last few years, that we don't normally face because we obviously were spoiled. We got boats from our sponsors. They would take them and sell them, and then we'd get another new boat. But now we're keeping our boats through the winter, so we got to get them ready. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a new thing for me, but, uh, or not
3: new, it's, I've done it in the past, but it's new this year for, you know, uh, I haven't done it in a while, but the thing about it is, Terry, is our boat season is gone really long, but we're still going to end up with three months or so where, where there's not going to be any boating maybe four, and so it is important that you get some stuff done with your boat, uh, you know, before you put it away for the winter time. Yeah, they're expensive, everyone knows that, so... So uh, you want to take care of them and then on top of it, you want it to be ready in the spring. When we get those first nice days, that's not when you want to be working on your boat. So now's the time to get ready to do it, you know, uh, right around the end of the season. And the first thing I'm going to recommend that people do is put some sort of fuel stabilizer and ethanol treatment in in their boat and then run that motor. For me, that means go splash it in the lake one more time and run up and down the lake and make sure that the whole fuel system has that treatment in it. We want to in the, the fuel injection, we want to in the motor itself, not just in the gas tank so that we don't have ejectors that clog and stuff like that. So if you can't take the boat to the lake one more time, then put it on a hose. And, uh, and run it for like, uh, two, three minutes so that it has a chance to suck all the, all the fuel through the system and get that fuel stabilizer in there. Most of the stabilizers are just a few bucks or five bucks and they'll treat 25 gallons of fuel. So keep that in mind and, uh, and go from there. I also like to fill my boat all the way to the top. So there's less room for condensation inside the fuel tank as the temperature changes up and down and uh, less chance of water. So I'll fill it up, treat the fuel and run it at the lake. And then very, very important uh, that you get all the water out of the system if that boat's going to sit outside or potentially even in your garage, depending on your garage. And that means the motor itself. And some people say, "Well, I'll just tilt the motor down." Well, that'll get most of it, but you really need to tilt the motor all the way down, let it sit for several minutes, then tilt it all the way up and all the way back down, and go through that a few times because some of the some of the water portages inside that motor will not necessarily drain straight down; it's just hanging there. So you need to cycle the motor uh another thing since we're all fishermen that you really need to make sure of is that you drain the live well pumps and so those i'll flip them on when the boat's not in the water let them pump any water out uh same thing with the bilge pumps both the manual and the automatic pumps uh make sure that those are are uh you know override and, and pump all the water out of there as well so that's important to make sure so you don't have a freezing issue and then for me personally uh, I also will hang the boat on a steep uh, steep drive, my driveway or something like that with the plug out and make absolutely sure that no water's in there anyway, which we should be doing for the ANS inspections uh, regardless. So those are the first things I do uh, as far as the last thing I'm on the water. Then I'll get real serious about other things. So one of the things I'll do, is charge all the batteries, uh, which we would normally do is a, a, at the end of a normal day of fishing, but then I'll also make sure they're topped with water for the year. Uh, you know, the last few times you ran it, maybe you, you burned some, uh, some of the water out of the batteries. So go ahead and top those batteries with distilled water. Make sure that they're full and clean for the year, that the terminals are clean so that all winter you can occasionally put that, the boat on a charger and, and charge them back up. Uh, if, in the event that, uh, you know, you're going to let the boat sit. So that's important to take care of all the batteries in the boat. Um, another thing that I will always do is back up my electronics, my GPS coordinates and all that. Any data that I save for the year, and the reason I do that is in the event that anything crazy goes wrong over the winter, the electrical system fries, or anything weird, I've got all my data from the year. and That doesn't sound like a fishing thing, but it's a major fishing thing for me. Uh, you know, I've got thousands of waypoints from all over the country, and it's very important. That I keep track of all those, so I'll back everything up on the on the Sonar units that's important and then i'll also mothball all the compartments in the boat because i have had significant issues over the years with both mice and squirrels if the boat's going to be outside every or even potentially in your garage when it comes to mice uh, you need to make sure there's mothballs in the boat somewhere that will kind of repel them uh, so that's a, a thing that helps a whole bunch and then if you're really anal like myself then For sure, I'm going to shampoo the carpet, get the carpet and everything all cleaned up before winter as well, and just get the boat ready in general uh, so that I don't have anything that's wet or anything that's moldy or anything that's, you know, dirty, yucky, everything's clean, and I know the status of the boat. And given the availability of parts and things these days, uh, I would give the boat this year particularly a very thorough once-over and go ahead and order any parts it might need now because who knows how long they're going to take to get in the current uh, environment.
1: You know, i got I a couple things I want to I bounce back on you here. One is I was getting my boat ready yesterday, and I found myself, and I haven't felt this for a while, I'm usually getting really excited about ice fishing this time of the year, and I am, and I'm thinking about that. But I also was feeling a little emotional because I feel like I'm putting the boat away, yet there's still... By the way, before I go on, there's a, a fan of yours here who saw your boat out at the lake. He wanted to say hi. Yeah. He's waving right now, so... <laughs> well, tell him I said hi. I appreciate he that. He says hi. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I, I was kind of feeling... Yeah, I thought, wow, you know... I, I been doing this for a few years now, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, and I always take the tackle out of my boat and store it in different places, especially you and I both know there's some soft bait that you really don't want to have freeze that can affect it, especially like some of the gulp things and like that, and they still seem okay, but better off to store them in a warm garage or something where they're not going to freeze. But a couple of things I want to ask you about that you didn't cover, and I don't do them on a, as regular as I should. Well, one, I don't do it all anymore, and that's fogging. You know, in the old days, we used to fog the motors. Um, I want my boat ready to go, and I might take it out to Pueblo in the middle of winter and then just drain the water again. So I, want, I don't fog my motor. I, used to, I think most of the modern motors don't need you to fog like that, do they?
3: Yes, I agree. No, I don't fog my motor either. And um, and I never have even way back in the day because I would always pull it out, you know, and use it. Like you said, I might run a Pueblo or do something with it, road, road trip. So that has not been an issue I've, I've done. I don't do it. I think the motors burn a lot cleaner than they used to, or I know they do. Um, and I think it used to be more of an issue, uh, you know, to do that. But I don't do that. And I also agree with you on taking tackle out. I don't know if I consider that a boat prep thing or a tackle prep thing, but all the tackle comes out of my boat. Everything comes out of the boat. I don't leave anything stored in the boat as far as fishing tackle goes because on this whole other segment, but there's a whole bunch of of end-of-season prep I do for my tackle as well. So everything comes out of the boat for inventory purposes, and also it gives you a chance to really see what's going on inside your boat with your tackle and everything else. I pull all the cushions. Uh, the throwables, I should say, the the PFDs out, everything like that comes out, so everything can get inspected. The boat and, uh, I start fresh in spring.
1: Well, uh, kind of a rite of spring for me. Now, if I make a trip in the winter, I just throw in what I need for that trip. But kind of a yeah. rite of spring early is getting my boat ready again, like you said. And that the main thing for me to do that because we've done all this prep ahead of time is going through the tackle that I want to permanently keep in the boat for the season. You're going to switch, obviously, some rods and tackle out during the course for different trips, but there's a handful of uh, maybe 10 rods and, and a bunch of tackle that's in the boat all the time in case I run into an emergency trip, you know, do you do that? Yeah. I mean, my boat, when I get, when I rig it in spring, when I get ready in spring, I'll put
3: everything in. I'll put all the core tackle in and the core tackle for me is the stuff that goes regardless of what I'm fishing for or where I'm fishing. That stuff will stay in the boat and stay organized. I'll spend all winter working on that in the garage and then, you know, get that tackle ready. So that the core boxes and core rods go in the, in the truck or in the boat, stay in there all the time. And then I'll change and add you know add or subtract things more typically add things depending on if i'm going on a specialized trip somewhere uh, and as you mentioned if i'm going fishing in the middle of winter somewhere unless it's a major cross-country type deal if i'm going to pueblo or something i can i can typically narrow that down to to a couple of rods and a, and a couple of boxes of bait throw them in as you mentioned so uh, very simple but when it, you know as, as we get ready for guides this coming spring and we did renew our guide permit so we'll be guiding a bunch in may and june and july particularly this year the core stuff will always be in the boat, so I'm ready for whatever whatever I need to do, and that'll be another segment for another show. But going through and getting what I call job lot quantities, making sure I have enough of each item to get me through a couple of days in the boat, uh, in the event that, that it's a key item, going through a bunch of. So, for instance, the winter that might be blade baits, right? Well, I would need a bunch of them because it might snag on some stuff. So, having one of your favorite colors is not going to be a good call. I will organize all of that in the winter, so it's ready for
1: for springtime. Uh, for Chad we got about 30 seconds left, but one thing we didn't talk about, and I don't do it every year, but I do it every couple of years, and that's the change the oil in my lower unit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Change the, the oil. That depends on your use and everything else. I think it's prudent to do it every year. Um, I at least check the condition of mine every year, but I agree with that 100%. Uh, also, the wheel bearings on the trailer and the brakes on the trailer would be serviced this time of year as well or sometime over the course of the winter so that you're ready to go in spring.
1: All right, my friend, people want more information from you. How do they find you?
3: Fishful thinker uh, across uh, social media, uh, especially our YouTube channel. We appreciate that very much. And then one quick PSA, if you happen to be going to the mountains to fish anywhere in the mountains right now, watch out for wildlife. Their deer are ricocheting around like a bunch of idiots for the
1: rut. They're getting hit by cars left and right up here at Horsetooth right now. So be careful heading into the mountains. Watch out for crazy deer. All right, my friend. We will talk to you again very soon, and uh, maybe I'll get you on the ice this year. Oh, that's a big ask, but I'll try (laughs) it. All right. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Derek. Chad LaChance. Hey, we're going to take a quick time out. We're going to come back and wrap up the show. We're broadcasting live from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins. I think Karen still has a lure or two left. If you come in and ask her, you just walk in the door and say, hey, I heard Terry say you got some lures. Can I have one? She'll give you one. And these are nice lures, too. They're not just cheapy $1 lures. These are expensive lures. So stop by. I'll hang around till about 10 th- 1130, rather, and make sure our friends from T-Mobile are here. But if you have never been to a Jack's store, stop by and say hi. Check out the store. We'll take a timeout. We come back. We'll wrap up this edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoor presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We are finishing up broadcasting live from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Fort Collins. Um, I'll hang around for a little while, so stop by and say hi. I'd love to see you if you listen to the show, but whether I'm here or not, stop by Jacks and see all the stuff. If you haven't done your Christmas shopping at Jack's, whether you're an outdoor enthusiast or not, you're missing the boat because, boy, do they have a, a, just a variety of merchandise. Some of the grilling stuff they got here is fantastic. But if you're an outdoor enthusiast, you have to check out a Jack's store near you. Today at this store in Fort Collins, which is on the north end of Fort Collins on College Avenue, the folks from T-Mobile are here, and they have got deals you will not believe. So stop in. Stop in and say hi to them. Say hi to me. Say Always stop in and say hi to the folks at Jack's. Uh, Coming up in the next few weeks, by the way, next week, because of a football game, we will air on 1600 ESPN. I think for most of the time after that, for quite a while, we're back on the fan the entire time. But that can change without notice. So always follow our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We give you updates on past interviews, upcoming interviews, when we're going to air, if the schedule changes so you can keep track of us. And we do a lot of live reporting, too, and we're going to start posting ice conditions. I'm going to post on the Facebook page probably this week guidelines on the thickness of ice and what it'll support, but those are guidelines because there's so many other factors that come into play, and we're going to continue our Masters of Ice Fishing where we get the world's greatest ice fishermen. We've had Dave Gents, we've had Bo Brosdahl, we're going to get Greg Clausio, Steve Panaz, and more in the next few weeks just talking ice fishing so follow us for that and is mr dan jacobs in the studio Hello, Dan. Is that an acknowledgement that you are not the world's greatest ice fisherman, Terry? I met other great fishermen. You know, I I try to bring it down to, you know, just uh, keep it humble. Oh, okay. Well, that's a first. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, my friend, I do have a question for you. Broncos related. We haven't got to talk for a while. Well, pick me up some of that grilling stuff from Jack's while you're down there, by the way. Yeah, but if I pick it up, it's going to my house, pal. I know it is. Cedar yeah. planks, you're going know, to put some nice salmon, or, you know, cedar planks oh, for the I've got cedar planks at my house for salmon, and I do have quite a bit of salmon on the grill. And I was talking, well, we'll get to the Broncos in a minute. I was talking to the manager at the Jack store, and, you know, there's, there's different approaches to outdoor cooking and grilling. There's, you know, there's uh, the gas grill cranked up, high heat, searing the steaks and cooking things. That's kind of my style. And there's a lot of people, and I know you do some of both, but I know you love the slower smoking. So I'll let you do the brisket and I'll make the steaks. How's that? Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. We had to get together and do that sometime. Sure. Hey, my question, watching the Broncos, and I'm an avid fan and I'm a sports enthusiast. You know that. We talk all the time about it. And I know we can go through all the controversy about the quarterback and the head coach and all those things. The thing that has aggravated me the most, I can't think of a game this year where the Broncos came out ready to play. Well, I would say maybe... Did they get off to a rough start against Dallas, or did they come out They right gave they? up a bad uh, special teams play right in the first play. They gave up a big return. Okay, well then, yeah, you're right. They kind of turned it around half quickly on that Dallas game, but even this last game I was watching, uh, the defense acted like they had no clue what Philadelphia would run, like they'd never seen the plays before. Everybody was out of position. Um, and there's just no energy from the Broncos till they get down by a couple touchdowns. Hey, now, Vic Fangio's a defensive genius. You can't claim that he didn't know what they were going to be doing. Everybody well, he might have known, him. but his players certainly and didn't. Everybody in the league is copying him as defense. That's what I've been told, Terry. This is yeah, an age. You know, he had like two good defensive years at Chicago. And the rest of the time his defenses were okay, but they were never world beaters. Yeah, in 40 years, uh, he did have the one really good, again, we had great players. He had the one really good uh, defense with the Niners, where they went to the Super Bowl. And he had, again, with Khalil Mack and all those really great players in Chicago. So in 40 years, in 40 decades, he had uh, two really good, exceptional defenses with exceptional players. And outside of that, nobody ever wanted him to be their head coach. So well, I wonder, he, he, I wonder he, why. He just has to get these guys ready to play. I'll, end, I'll wrap this up so you can spill your vitriol at him and by yourself. All right, sir. All right. This wraps up Terry Wickstrom. I'm at Jack's Outdoors in North Fort Collins. I'll be here for a little bit longer. Stop by and say hi. We'll let the Eagles take us to Jan, Dan Jacobson Sports on 104.3 The Fan.